right, my challenge today is I've got three and a half hours worth of material that I'm going to try to get out in about 35 minutes. This is deep. This is rich. This is really, really good today. We're going to be dealing with step one on what does it mean to be blessed? Like, what is the very first step in handling our finances God's way? And it's a biblical principle called tithing. And if you don't know what the word tithe means or is, we'll explain that in, in just a moment. But let me just let me give a precursor. Now, I don't typically do this, so you're going to have to forgive me. Um, Normally, I like to preach on the weekend a message that applies to everybody, that, that it is easy for everybody to receive, that, that kind of, you know, wherever you're at in your faith journey, you're going to get something out of. It's a little more difficult this week because what God has really put on my heart in a strong way is we need to go deep this weekend because I need to show you some truths that are absolutely revolutionary. They, they will, they, for those of you that are hungry for deeper spiritual truths, you're going to love this weekend because I'm going to show you something in Scripture that is powerful. But Paul says about the very subject we're dealing with today, when you study Hebrews 5, 6, and 7, it's all about Melchizedek. We're going to be looking at his life today and see a model of worship in it. Paul says that in, in Hebrews chapter 5, he says, we have so much to say to you about this, it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. There's a lot of people who just tune this out and they're not trying to understand. And what Paul says about it is, is that's fine. You need milk, not solid food. Now, I've got a two-year-old at home. He just left the phase of drinking milk and eating solid food over the last year. When he was an infant, we couldn't feed him steak because it would upset his stomach. Like he needed a bottle. He needed milk when he was like three months old and four months old. And, you know, as much as I wanted to feed him some good filet mignon and get him ready to be a man, uh, it just, you know, it would just upset his stomach. It, it wouldn't work. And, and so he needed a bottle. Now, don't get offended at me at this illustration because I didn't write it. Paul wrote it. This is Paul speaking, not me. Paul said there's times where we're going to teach truths in Scripture and it's going to upset your stomach. No big deal. That just means you're still on the bottle. That's all that means. You're not ready for solid food yet. And if that's you, that's fine. Like we, we need people at all walks of the journey. I just want you to know today is solid food. We're not going to be pulling out the bottle today. It's going to be solid food. And if, if it doesn't sit well with you, just ignore it. Just, just tune it out, take a nap, and come back next week. And It'll be fine. So I just, just want to let you know up front that this is what Paul says about this message. Let me, let me open with one of the greatest principles of tithing to let you see the picture clearly. In Romans chapter 11, it says, if the part of the dough offered as first fruits all throughout the Old Testament, the first fruits was the tithe, is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. So if I offer to God the first fruits out of all of my income, what that means is the rest of my income becomes holy. The rest of my income is set apart. If the first is holy, and the only way the first can become holy is to offer it to God. If I keep it, it's not holy. If I offer it to God, it's holy. If the first is holy, then everything else I have is holy. What is holy, Satan can't touch. That's the good news. This is why we say, and many people in our church will, will testify to this being true, 90% of your income can actually accomplish more than 100% if it's blessed by God. Why? Because if it's holy, it can do more. If it's holy, there's a supernatural protection on it. There's a supernatural favor on it. If the first is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And the word holy simply means set apart to God. 
Like I have a pair of shoes at home that are holy to the gym. They're not holy to God, they're holy to the gym. They're set apart. I only wear them at the gym because they've got a certain smell to them and a certain feel to them that they're not my everyday shoes. They are set apart for my time at the gym. That's all the word holy means is set apart. And you see this principle all throughout the Bible. In the Garden of Eden, God says you can eat any tree you want, but this one is mine. It's, it's set apart. It's holy and don't touch it. Um, The high priests of the Old Testament once a year would offer a sacrifice to God. And the Bible said if the high priest was accepted, then the whole nation was accepted. But if for whatever reason, the high priest didn't do things right or do things properly or wasn't accepted, the entire nation that year would be rejected. Now, here's the good news. We have a high priest. His name is Jesus, and he is perfectly acceptable to God, which means as long as our high priest is accepted, we're accepted. That's that's the beauty of righteousness. If our high priest is acceptable to God. See, God's not looking at us. He's looking at our high priest. And our high priest is Jesus, which means I am acceptable to God because of my high priest. We see this principle all throughout Scripture. So let me give you working definitions as we get into the message. Tithing is returning to God the first 10%. The Bible calls it the first fruits. It calls it the firstborn, depending on what type of uh, uh, you know, economy you're working with, if it's agriculture, if it's ranching, if it's gold and silver. It's always the first 10%. Tithing is not the second 10%. It's not the third 10%. It's not 10% at the end of the month because you had it left over. It is only holy if it's the first It's the first 10%. Now, a lot of people, when I teach on tithing, they challenge me and they say things like, well, Paul said we're supposed to give cheerfully and and willingly and and, and that that it's something we we do out of a a cheerful heart. Absolutely. That, That is exactly what giving is, but giving and tithing are different spiritual disciplines. See, giving is willingly giving above our tithe. It's an offering. You see, the first 10% is holy, so I set it apart to the Lord. It's his. I set it apart. Anything I do above the first 10% is an offering. It's giving. These are different spiritual disciplines. And when you study tithing, there is tithing under the law. We are not under the law. So I encourage everyone here, never tithe under the law. We are not under the law. You don't want to tithe under the law. We actually tithe under grace. And you see both in the Bible, under the law and under grace. And every time you tithe under grace, there's incredible blessing to it. King Solomon put it like this. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, Proverbs is not under the law. Proverbs is wisdom literature. It's not under the law. The prophets are not under the law. The prophets spoke for God. That's why Jesus would often say the law and the prophets. He would separate the two. There's the law, and then there's wisdom, and then there's prophets. This is wisdom. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. That is what being blessed looks like. And that is God's desire for you. God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to live a life of more than enough because you have a purpose. God puts you on earth for a reason. He's given you an assignment and you can't accomplish your assignment if all you have enough for is you. You need to have more than enough so you can do what God has planned for you. Now, the Jews have a very famous saying in the Jewish culture. It's called tithe and grow rich. Tithe and grow rich. And Jewish population is 0.2% of world population. Yet disproportionately, the amount of wealth they control, but it's this ingrained tithing culture that you see all throughout the Bible. 
even in the Hebrew language, here, here's what's cool. Many of you that understand the Hebrew language knows that there's always double meanings in the Hebrew language. God hides like secret codes inside of the language itself, where the word tithe in Hebrew is the word maser. Anytime you see tithe or tenth part, it literally means 10%. And we know according to scripture, it's the first 10%, but tithe is maser. Now here's what's really cool. The word rich in Hebrew, you know, rich or wealthy, rich is aser. It's literally inside of the word tithe. That's not a coincidence. God took the word rich and he hid it inside of the word tithe. That's why Jewish people say tithe and grow rich, because it's a principle that works whether you're a Christian or not. I mean, look at the famous tithers in American industry. How many of you ever had Heinz 57? Henry John Hines was a famous tither. He tithed from childhood. In every interview he did, when they asked him the success of the Heinz Corporation, he attributed it to tithing. How many of you love cheese? How many of you ever had Kraft cheese on a burger? James L. Kraft tithed 25% of his income from childhood all throughout his business. And here's what Kraft said. He said, the only investment I ever made which has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money I have given to the Lord. The very first billionaire in America, in an article, he says, yes, I tithe. And I would like to tell you how it all came about. I had to begin work as a small boy to help support my mother. My first wages amounted to $1.50 a week. The first week after I went to work, I took the $1.50 home to my mother and she held the money in her lap and explained to me that she would be happy if I would give a tenth of it to the Lord. I did. And from that week until this day, I have tithed every dollar that God has entrusted to me. And I want to say that if I had not tithed off of the first dollar that I made, I would not have tithed off of the first million dollars that I made. It said, tell your readers to train children to tithe, and they will grow up to be faithful stewards of the Lord. That was written by John D. Rockefeller, the first billionaire in America. Now, I know those are older guys, and, and, and you know, we're, we're a new generation, so what new examples do you have? How many of you have heard of LL Cool J? Come on, LL Cool J. I grew up on, the, you know, I need love. When I'm alone in my room, sometimes I stare at the wall, and in the back of my mind, I hear my... All right, I'll stop. I'll do the whole song for you. I grew up on LL Cool J. That's my generation right there. Um, LL Cool J has transcended his career decade to decade. Like, he's still, like huge in TV and movies and still to this day making music when a lot of hip-hop artists come and go. Like they're there for five years on the scene and then they're out of there. Well, I read an article from LL Cool J recently. He said, every dime I get, no matter what it is, I give 10% to the church. I'm a lifelong tither. I believe strongly in giving. I believe you've got to have that faith. And I've seen it work in my life because as much as people in the world like to take credit and claim to be geniuses, at the end of the day, there's a higher power than you, and you got to answer to that power. He goes on in the article to say the only reason his career has sustained the length of time it's sustained is because of his tithing. I mean, it works. It works. And I always, you know, people are like, well, I, I don't want to, you know, it's not some repulsive, ugly thing. Like, let, let me put it like this. Like, no guy goes on his honeymoon and says, well, do we have to? <laughs> like, come on, it's your honeymoon. It's not about, you have to, you want to. Like, tithing is not something you have to do. That's under the law. It's something when you understand how beautiful it is, you want to do it because you understand the purpose. And it's not to get rich. 
Again, our, our, our goal, like it will make you rich, but the purpose of it is not to get rich. The purpose of it is for God to use us to be a blessing because he has a purpose on each and every one of our life. Let me give you one more. Where's Josh McCaskill? Is he out to the side? Come on out here. Josh is one of our worship leaders. Uh, for those of you in the Marine Corps, he was an army guy. Don't hold it against him. He went to West Point. He had no choice. Um, he shared a story with me a couple weeks ago about when they came to our church and understanding this revelation for the first time. Share quickly with us. Sure. Uh, so I was in the Army for 14 years, uh, had reached the rank of major, was teaching up at West Point as a professor of leadership, and had a really good life. And I felt like God was calling me out of that and saying, hey, you, how you define success and how I define success are very different. I need you to start over and let me work a path that I have for you. And so I did. I walked away and uh, became a civilian for the first time since, it, since I was an adult. I joked with my wife that I had to grow a beard because the last time I was allowed to, I wasn't old enough to. <laughs> um, and God took us here to, to San Diego and, uh, and we went to Coastline and went through the growth track, watched a video on Pastor Aaron talking about tithing and felt very convicted about giving our first 10% to, to the Lord as an acknowledgement that, that it is his. He's the reason we have all this. And being the first time we've ever paid for medical expenses, the first time that we've been outside the, the, the care of, of the military, it was very scary about income and how we're going to balance everything. Uh, but we decided to, to be faithful and obedient and say, God, this is yours. It's yours. And so we're going to tithe 10%. This was like Sunday afternoon. That Monday, my boss calls me uh, and says, hey, by the way, did you know you get a company car? We pay for the car, we pay for the gas, the insurance, and the maintenance. And at the time, the only debt that we had was my car payment. And so we sold the truck. And so now we're, out, now we're completely out of debt. A couple months go by, and uh, my wife and I are talking about her going back to school to get a Bachelor of Science in Nursing. And, and school is a very expensive thing to do. Um, and we're like, well, I guess we're going we're gonna to have to make this work. And, and it was rattling around in the back of our mind about the tithing, but we never... We never brought up the idea of not tithing, and we decided that we were going to continue to tithe faithfully. And, and on that decision, I think it was like a Tuesday, that Wednesday, I got a letter in the mail from the VA with, with my disability rating, and the monthly check that the government was now going to pay me was more than what we were tithing. And so at every single turn, when we have decided to become, to, to be faithful and obedient and trust that God is going to take care of us. And it's a scary thing as a, as, as a, as a human being, right? Especially, you know, the, the traditional father role, we want to be providers, we want to be the protectors. And when you give up those controls to God and say, God, you are the protector of our family. You are the provider for our family. You are going to take care of this family. And we are, we are your servants. It's incredible how much he, he blesses and, and, affirms that decision and says, I've got you, I've got you. And so my wife and I are like, well, what else should we give? <laughs> so, so, you know, this, this church and, and, and being obedient and tithing in the words of truth and love from, from Pastor Aaron and, and the, the support from this church has really helped, helped us as a family to, to get to that next level. And we're so incredibly blessed to be a part of this and everything. So thank, thank you, Aaron. Josh. Appreciate that. Well, let me... Uh... Let me dive in because I want to show you this unbelievable divine parallel because I want you to understand tithing is an act of worship. We say often tithing is not a financial transaction between you and a church. It's an act of worship between you and your God. And I want to show you that clearly in Scripture. And I want to teach you not to tithe under the law, tithe under grace. The practice is the same. How you do it is the same. The heart motivation is completely different. 
You should never tithe because you have to. Like, if you feel like we're trying to get your money, uh, please hear my heart. Keep it. Please keep it. Don't give it to us. If if you feel manipulated at all, please keep it and don't give it. Because tithing is a response of worship. It is a revelation of faith. I would rather you keep the money until you have a revelation and it becomes a response of worship than you do something because you feel like you have to. That's under the law, and there's no blessing to tithing under the law. Uh, In your notes, there's a whole section on Jesus is the tithe. Jesus was God's tithe. This is why it's a big deal to God, because his son was the tithe. He was typology of the tithe. God tithe the best of heaven to earth to redeem us from our sin. Jesus is the high priest. If the first is holy, the rest is holy. Jesus is the tithe. There's some scripture in your notes that I don't have time to talk about today that you can read on your own. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus is called the firstfruits and the firstborn, just like the tithe in the Old Testament is called the firstfruits and the firstborn. But let me show you tithing under the Old Covenant, tithing under the law. And on your message notes, you can just write really big, no blessing, because anytime you see tithing under the law, there is never a blessing attached to it. There's never a promise attached to it. It is a requirement. It is what you have to do. And under grace, you don't have to do anything. You get to do it. So look at this. Under the law, Leviticus, and anytime you see tithing in Leviticus or Deuteronomy, there's never a promise. There's never a blessing. It says, one-tenth of the produce of the land with the grain from the fields or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord and must be, has to be. Like, you've got to do this or bad things are going to happen and you're not going to get blessed and all sorts. No, no, no. That, we don't tithe under the law. We tithe under grace. This is tithing under the law. And if you notice, there's no blessing attached to it. What we're under, under grace, the Old Testament calls grace the Abrahamic covenant. And I know that that, that can sound a little bit heady, but it's the Abrahamic covenant. God made a covenant with Abram, changed his name to Abraham. We, the New Testament says, are the sons and daughters of Abraham. So we're actually under Abraham. Abraham was not under the law. Abraham was around hundreds of years before the law was established. And under the Abrahamic covenant, tithing always carries a blessing. So you can write blessing on that line. But let me show you the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 12, we looked at this last week. God says, I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. It's God's idea to bless you, not mine. God wants to bless you. Why? Because he has a purpose for your life. He says, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. God wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing. He goes on to say, I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed to you. You have a purpose. God puts you here for a reason and God needs to bless you so that you can accomplish that purpose. He's just looking for people who will be willing to be that blessing. Like you have, to, you have to open yourself up to allowing God to bless you so that he can make you a blessing. So Genesis 12 is when the promise was given. Genesis 15 is when God ratifies the covenant or he signs and gets it notarized. That all happens in Genesis 15. Now, when you study the Bible, Genesis 12 to 15 is when the Bible begins. Everything up to Genesis 12 is the introduction. The first chapter of the Bible really begins around Genesis 12 because that's when the covenant and the promise is established. And we know this is a covenant of grace, not a covenant of law because of this ancient custom. And I've taught on this before, but basically what it is, is is you sacrifice an animal, you put the bloody pieces on the ground. And when two kings went to war, the losing king would walk through the bloody pieces, making a covenant with the winning king, saying, if I ever break my covenant with you, let my life be like this. You can kill me and destroy me if I ever break my covenant to you. It's actually an ancient wedding custom, too. 
Like bride and grooms would walk through the pieces of an animal and say, let it be to us if we ever break the covenant we're making today. So it's a very, very big deal. So Abraham knows that he's the lesser in his relationship to God. And so Abraham fully anticipates and expects that God is going to make him walk through the pieces. Why? Because God is the greater, he's the lesser. But when you see the story, it says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared. That was God and the smoking fire pot. And it says, and it passed between the pieces. So here's the question. Who walked between the pieces, Abraham or God? God. What does that mean? God made the covenant with us, not us with God. See, this is a grace covenant, not a law covenant. The law covenant is about us. It's about our performance. It's about our obedience. God says, I make a covenant with you based on who I am. I make a covenant with you based on my integrity, based on my character, not based, because if it was based on us, then we could fail and break the covenant. We'd be in trouble. But the covenant is not based on us. It's based on God. It's an Abrahamic covenant, which is grace. So let me show you a model of worship under the Abraham covenant. You go back to chapter 14. It says, Melchizedek, King of Salem brought out bread and wine. What is bread and wine? The body and the blood. He's foreshadowing what Jesus is going to do. Now, many theologians believe Melchizedek was Jesus himself. Like it it wasn't just typology of Christ. It was actually Jesus in the flesh in the Old Testament. Now, whether you believe that or not, it doesn't change the meaning of the story. I almost fell off the stage there. Um, (laughs) Story stays the same whether you believe it or not. But, but he brings out communion. That's why we did communion earlier. He was priest of God, most high, and he blessed Abram. Now, this is huge. Where does the blessing occur before or after Abram's response? Before. You see, this is grace. See, the law is you obey, then you are blessed. Grace is you're blessed, and so it causes this response of gratitude to God so that we obey. The blessing happens first. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. So Melchizedek, who is Christ or typology of Christ, comes out with bread and wine communion, which is symbolic of what he does for us. How does Abram respond to communion? Then Abram gave him a tenth, maser, a tithe of everything. You see, under the Levitical priesthood, it's if you obey, then you are blessed. Under the Melchizedek priesthood, we have a priest in order of Melchizedek. Psalm says, Hebrews says, our priest is the line of Melchizedek. The blessing comes first. Our response is the tithe. This is before the law. The question is, where did Abraham learn to do this? It had not been required. It was not written into the law. This was hundreds of years before tithing was ever a requirement. This was a response from his heart to God. See, Abraham understood the tithe, the tenth, always belongs to God. The ten always belongs. Let me put it like this. The Ten Commandments belong to God, right? Anytime you touch the Ten Commandments, you're cursed. The Bible says if you try to follow the law, then you're obligated to keep all of the law. When Jesus touches the Ten Commandments, you're blessed. Jesus is the only one that could obey all of the commandments perfectly on our behalf, which gives us blessing. When I touch the Ten, I'm cursed. When Jesus touches the Ten, I'm blessed. You see this principle all throughout the Bible. The Ten belongs to God. He's the only one that can handle the Ten. Anytime we touch the Ten, it becomes cursed. When God handles the Ten, it becomes blessed on our behalf. Well, we have a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, and we are sons of 
and daughters of Abraham. So we don't tithe because we have to. We're not under the law. It is our response for what he has done for us. And then when you read the story, the king of Sodom comes along, and the king of Sodom tells Abraham, give me all of the people. You can keep all of the silver and the gold. Why? Because Satan could care less about money. Satan wants the souls of people. He's always trying to destroy people. But what does Abraham say? He says, I'm not going to keep one thing that belongs to you because Abraham just tithed and he knows God is about to bless him and he wants to make sure the king of Sodom doesn't get any credit for the blessing of God on his life. And so Abraham says, I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to keep a thing that belongs to you. Now here's the parallel. Here's the act of worship that I want you to see. Communion. See that? Melchizedek brings out the bread and wine communion. Communion is God tithing the best of heaven to earth. Communion was God tithing his son to earth. Communion is all about the death of Jesus that redeems us. Then what is the tithe? Tithing is us tithing the best of earth to heaven. What is the best of earth? The first fruits. If the first fruits becomes holy, the whole batch becomes holy. Here's what's amazing. God's tithe becomes cursed on our behalf. Our tithe becomes blessed on our behalf. Paul explains this in Hebrews 7. He says, this Melchizedek, was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. So the blessing comes first. And then Abraham, as a response, gave him a tenth of everything. You see, communion always comes first. The ministry of Jesus comes first. Our response then is our gratitude. Is it our heart of worship for him? First, and this this is amazing, the name Melchizedek has communion hidden into the name. Melchizedek means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem. Salem would become Jerusalem, means king of peace. So, so look, at the, this, look at this parallel of his name meaning communion. Um, it also goes on to say, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. Well, who do you know did not have a father or mother, did not have a genealogy, did not begin life or will end life? Well, Jesus. That's why we believe Melchizedek was Jesus. It says, resembling the Son of God. Where else have you seen that phrase? The book of Daniel. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? The king said, I see a fourth man in the fire who resembles the Son of God. He remains a priest forever. So so look at, in his name is communion, king of Salem. Salem is the Jewish word shalom. It's a greeting to this day in Israel. Shalom, shalom. Shalom means peace and health. Peace and health. Where do we get peace and health? The body. Jesus' body was given so that we could have peace and we could have health. King of righteousness, the blood. His blood was shed so that we could be forgiven. His blood was shed so that we could have righteousness. In Melchizedek's name is the death. It is the proclamation of what Jesus would do on our behalf. It goes on to say in verse 4, just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tent of the plunder. Again, this was a response. It wasn't something Abraham had to do. It was something Abraham wanted to do. It was a response of gratitude. It was an act of worship. Now the law requires, now we're talking about tithing under the law, the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect the tenth from the people. That's what you had to do under the law. That is from their fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. So that's tithing under the law. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, so we got tithing under grace. Yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises, and without a doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. The priesthood of Jesus is always greater than the priesthood of the Levites or the law. 
So what is this act of worship? Well, communion, we, the Bible says in your notes, Corinthians says we receive communion to proclaim the Lord's death. This is the ministry of Jesus to us. Jesus ministers to us through his death. He provides righteousness. He provides health. He provides healing. The tithe is to proclaim the Lord's life. It's a beautiful act of worship. I receive communion to proclaim his death, to receive all of the benefits of what he did for me, and then I respond with the tithe to proclaim his life. This is what Hebrews 7 says. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die. When you tithe to your local church, whether our church or another church, your tithe is going to be collected by people who die. It's going to be accounted for by people who die. But in the other case, by him who is declared to be Living, the tithe declares him to be alive. Now, when you study this in the Greek, it is a present passive tense. What does that mean? That means Jesus is actively doing this today. Jesus, when you tithe on earth, whether you do it electronically, whether you write a check, however you do it, when you tithe on earth, Jesus is presently receiving that tithe in heaven on your behalf. And it declares him being alive. You see, the tithe is our testimony. The tithe is our testimony to our unsaved neighbors. It's our testimony to our unsaved friends, to our unsaved co- Because when they see God's supernatural blessing on your life that doesn't make sense, it is a testimony of him who is alive. God is alive in my life. My tithe declares that God is living. When people look at my life and they see the blessing on my life, it is a declaration that God is alive. You see, the Levitical tithe takes... Jesus receives. It's a big difference. You don't have to. Again, if you don't want to tithe, don't tithe. Don't tithe. It it really, it's not something you have to do. This is something we do as a response to worship. Now, here's what's cool. Think about this. What does communion produce in our life? Health. Health, right? We receive the body for our health. What does the tithe produce in our life? Wealth. Or are you trying to tell me that this is a health and wealth gospel? No, the gospel is grace and peace, but it produces health and wealth. Look at any civilization in the world that has applied Christian principles, and that civilization has prospered. Women have been elevated. Look at any civilization outside of Christianity, women are subjugated. Under Christianity, women are elevated. There's medical advancements. There's technological advancements. Society prospers. Why? Because the gospel is grace and peace, but it produces health and well, and if that offends you today, like, like if you get offended at hearing prosperity gospel or health and wealth, check your hypocrisy at the door for me. I mean, let's just be real honest for a second. Those of you that are parents, how many of you want your children to be sick with diseases? Or do you want your children to be healthy and well? Those of you who are parents, how, do you, how, how many of you want your children to grow up and be poor and struggle financially? Or do you want them to be prosper and wealthy? Well, why do you think you're somehow better than God? God wants the same thing for his kids. See, it's so easy for us to criticize this health and wealth gospel when all God wants is the best for his children the very way you want the best for your children. And again, it is a gospel of grace and peace, but when applied properly, it has incredible benefits in our life. Look at the blessing on the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 15, this really should be attached to Genesis 14. 
When you study it in the Hebrew language, it's the same story. It says, after this, meaning that same day, it wasn't a week later, it wasn't a year later, it was after this. The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, do not be afraid, Abram. So right after Abram responds with the tithe, God says, I am your shield. That is an offensive word, not defensive in Hebrew. It's an offense shield. And he says, your very great reward. Now, when you study that phrase in the Hebrew language, it's not talking about your wealth. It's talking about your salary or your wages. God says, I will increase your salary. I will increase your wages. I will, I, I will increase your monthly provision. That is the connection of the tithe. Now here, as we close, why 10%? Why 10%? Well, I've taught on this before that 10 means test. God's testing our heart. But there's a, there's a bigger meaning to the 10 that I've discovered recently. It represents all or everything. Jesus gave all of his life to you on the cross, 100%, not 10%. He gave 100% of his body on the cross. What is our response to give 100% back to him? How do we give 100% to God through the 10? Because 10, in God's eyes, represents all. When you tie 10% to God, God credits you as giving 100%. Let me show this to you in Scripture. Uh, in the Old Testament, there are 300, more than 300 laws in the Old Testament. God chooses 10 to represent all of them, the 10 commandments. The 10 always represents the whole. Uh, Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for Isaac. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed for all his master's goods were in his hand. Now, Abraham was incredibly wealthy. 10 camels could not carry all of Abraham's wealth, but the 10 represented the whole. Joseph is the clearest typology in the Bible for Jesus. Joseph was loved by the father. Jesus loved by the father. Joseph rejected by his brothers. Jesus was rejected by the Jewish people. Jesus or Joseph became the bread of life to the Gentile word. Jesus for the last 2,000 years has been our bread of life. Joseph married a Gentile bride. Jesus marries us. The first time his brothers come to Egypt, they don't recognize him. The first time Jesus was on earth, his brothers, the Jewish people, did not recognize him. The second time his brothers came, Joseph was revealed. The second time Jesus comes back, every Jew will announce him as the Messiah, Romans 11 says. Joseph is typology of Jesus. When Joseph sends for his father to come to Egypt, it says, and this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt. The 10 represents the best, represents the whole. And 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provision for his journey. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of Egypt. Jacob, remember the name Jacob means deceiver. It was the ugly name for Jacob. Jacob was done. He did not believe them. But when he told them everything Joseph had said, and when he saw the carts, when he saw the 10 carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of the father, Jacob revived, and Israel, now he's called Israel. You see, when he did not have faith, he was called Jacob. Under faith, he's called Israel, his princely name. He said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. Remember the tithe is to declare him who is alive. It's a beautiful response there. Beautiful. It's our testimony. So Jesus gave it all to us. Our response is to give it all through the 10 because when God sees the 10, he sees everything we have. Because remember what Romans said, if the tithe is holy, everything you have is holy. If the first is set apart for God, everything you have is set apart. It all becomes his. Let me give you one more as we close. I know I'm taking a couple extra minutes today, but again, I was serious about this could be three and a half hours of material. This is good. This is so rich. 
I want to show you an example of Genesis 15, the Abrahamic covenant. Joseph, or Jacob, when he's fleeing from his brother Esau, he comes to this place and he sets up this stone as a pillar that will be God's house. And he says that of all that you give me, I will give you a tent. Now, again, this is long before it was ever written in the law. This wasn't a requirement. At this point, Jacob has not tithed. He's poor. He has nothing to his name. He's not, he, so he's not tithing in this verse. He's making an oath to tithe. Then if you read his life, Genesis 30, Genesis 31, his father-in-law Laban cheats him and cheats him and cheats him. And every time his father-in-law cheats him, he prospers and he gets wealthier and he gets wealthier and he gets wealthier. It goes on to say that, look, look, if if my wages are going to be any animal that is born streaked or speckled, God would make all of the animals born streaked. or Why? Because God will provide. And we see this in his life over and over again and over. It's beautiful. So the tithe is our response. It's our act of worship. We receive communion. We receive what Jesus did on our behalf, and we respond with the tithe. We receive communion to proclaim his death. We respond with the tithe to declare him who is alive. And and here's the truth. God doesn't need your tithe as much as you need his blessing. Do you really think God needs your money? God doesn't need your tithe. You need his blessing, though. And again, if you don't want to tithe, I'm encouraging you, please don't tithe. I would rather you not tithe under law. I'd rather you hold on to your money. You can get one of those wallets with the zippers on it. Keep it all. Don't let any of it out of your sight until you have a revelation. Because when you have a revelation of grace, it changes your heart. When it becomes an act of worship, it changes your heart. So if you feel manipulated, if you feel like, The church is trying to get money from you. Please hear my heart. We want you to keep it. Don't give it. Don't tithe under the law. Wait till you have a revelation of grace. And here's the powerful part that I want to close with. Tithing was under the law, but tithing was before the law. Tithing was after the law. Jesus, Matthew 23, said you should tithe. He didn't say you had to tithe. He said you should tithe. Why? Because it's under grace. Grace is something we should do because it's for our best interest but it's not something we have to do. So Jesus in Matthew 23 says you should tithe. But here's the kicker this week. As I was studying this, tithing is not just before the law, not just under the law, not just after the law. Do you realize we're going to tithe in heaven? Ezekiel 44, Ezekiel has a vision of the new temple, new Jerusalem, and the way we're going to worship in heaven. And here's what he says. Now, this is not talking about earth. This is talking about the future. This is talking about heaven. He says, the first of all, the first fruits of every kind and of every contribution of every kind from all your contributions shall be for the priest. You shall also give to the priest the first of your dough to cause a blessing to rest on your house. This is heaven. Realize tithing is in heaven. Why? Because it's an act of worship. Why would it be in heaven if it wasn't an act of worship? See, the law will pass away, but our worship will live forever. And so we receive communion, the death of Jesus, and then we tithe to proclaim his life. Beautiful model of worship. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? Father, in the name of Jesus, God, let this revelation go deep and let it be a revelation of grace for people's hearts. God, if people are struggling right now with feeling manipulated or or compulsed or, or they just don't want to, God, give them the freedom to just not do it. Let them be at ease with just holding on to it for now. 
until they see it as an act of worship. Let them have that revelation. And God, for those of us who've had the revelation of what it means for you to go to the cross and give your entire life on our behalf, God, we gladly respond with our life, with our best, with our first, with our ten, that God represents the whole. You have it all. You have all of us. You gave all of yourself. We give all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to close with one song of worship. Our prayer team is going to be available. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I can't encourage you enough to come talk to somebody on our prayer team. They'd love to pray with you about what it means to give your life to Jesus. If anything else is going on, our team would love to pray with you today. Let's sing this one song and then we'll be dismissed.